0: Fighting for freedom every day. Republicans right now, the conservatives, which unfortunately, this is what we have to do every time. Even after a vote where people are sick and tired of the establishment, they're sick and tired of the squeezy, middle-of-the-road, squishy kind of Republican rhinos, and we vote conservatives in, then we have to fight tooth and nail in D.C. to actually be heard within the Republican Party.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier.
0: Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is a Thursday, the pre-Friday celebration. Greatest day of the entire week, man. We just carpe diem all over this place is what we're all about here on this show, and there is so much to talk about, good and bad, and just weird. Which is the typical world. So, welcome into it. This is The Voice Reason. I am Andy Hoosier. Great to have you broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, multiple radio stations, plus TV, live streaming, podcasting, and more. However, you watch or listen, always great to have you. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. Bottom of this hour. We're actually going to keep it on the home front here in the state of Kansas. Where we're hailing from is Sheriff at Curry Myers. He is a retired sheriff of over 35 years out of the Johnson County, Kansas area. For those not living in the state of Kansas, that is up near the Kansas City area. As we talk about decriminalization of the cities, Democrat policies that are affecting these cities, the increasing crime rates, where it's all happening, and what can be done about it. We'll talk with him about all that. Here in just a bit, because that is a huge conversation, because this is a huge and bigly show, I'm telling you. And I think we're going to make it bigly. It's what we do on this program every single day, because have no fear, the voice of reason is here, my friends. And it's great to have you with us. There's a lot to talk about on the national front right out of the gate. Obviously, we've been covering a lot of issues on the House Speaker votes, which we will get into in just a minute. I am concerned, although I kind of understand what's being done Not necessarily that I agree with it, but I at least understand why they're choosing to do what they're doing and what that could mean for the House of Representatives, for Republican leadership, for Republican unity, and trying to get through the next few months into the end of the year. So we'll have that here in just a moment. We also have Joe Biden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to get into the Biden basement today.
1: Let's go into the Biden basement.
0: As Joe Biden has officially landed in Israel in Tel Aviv, where, according to the media, now again, this is the media reporting it, so please take it with a grain of salt and some skepticism here. But according to the media, when Joe Biden landed in Tel Aviv and is now trying to show his massive, unwavering support for Israel, and I don't say that with any sarcasm whatsoever, as he talks about his unwavering support for the country of Israel, he's trying to find a way to change the narrative of the Democrat Party and the stance of the Democrat Party when it comes to the Jewish community and to the nation of Israel, as we still have, still, many members of the Democrat Party across the nation, including college campuses, many students, and even elected officials in Washington, D.C., that are unwavering with their stance on the pro-Palestinian movement, the anti-Jewish movement, and the anti-Semitism that has spread across this nation and exposing what the Democrat Party really is now. That being said, we knew that as we get closer to what people may say is the end of times or say that we're getting into just really weird troubling times or whatever you view this time may be, that the negativity, the evil, the weirdness in the world will come to the surface. It will be exposed. And therefore, you can see the true colors that you can no longer hide in the shadows. You can no longer hide behind the closed doors. You can no longer hide and just try and do things from behind the scenes like the little puppet master that so many have done while blaming it on somebody else. It's not working any longer. Those policies are now being exposed, and this is a prime example of it. You can't say that you're pro-Israel and anti-Semitic when you're sitting there holding a Palestinian flag and saying, down with Israel. Doesn't quite work that way. So uh, the Biden administration has a hefty job and a a hefty task for themselves when tonight, apparently at 8 p.m. Eastern time, the Biden administration, Joe Biden, will be speaking from Israel, I guess, to talk about what we're going to be doing. And there's a few bits of speculation that we can have about what that may uh, focus on, what he may try to try to hone in on. But we can guess that it's going to be trying to change the narrative of the Democrat Party and how, again, unwavering that support for Israel is. Now, this is the same party that didn't like Benjamin Netanyahu coming to speak on our congressional floor. This is the same party that has not wanted to support Israel and has talked about... Hamas, and has talked about the Gaza Strip, and said that any time that Israel even tries to retaliate against Hamas, that it's their fault, and they're the ones instigating the war. And now, all of a sudden, the Democrat Party is really stuck between the rock and the hard place on where they stand on this issue, and whether the Democrat Party really does support a strong ally for the United States. And during an election season, going into an election time, when Joe Biden is tied neck and neck with Donald Trump on the presidential polls... That's a cause for concern. And they realize that overwhelmingly Americans, even many on the Democrat side, overwhelmingly support the nation of Israel. So going over there was a quote-unquote gamble, according to the media. Not sure how it was a gamble. And Joe Biden apparently has made another first. And he loves breaking those thresholds. He loves making the first. He was able to nominate the first black woman as the vice president of the United States, right? That, that was the big thing, right? Here's- now, Kamala Harris isn't really black. She's uh, what is she? She's Indian and Jamaican. That doesn't really constitute as Native Amer or uh, African American. But they say that she's the first black vice president. So the first check mark for the Biden administration. Then he was out picketing with the UAW workers just a week or two ago, and saying that hey, you're right. You need raises because the evil corporation's not paying you enough to be able to survive in my economy. So hoorah! I'm going to stay in a picket line with you the first president of the United States to walk the picket line with labor union workers. Now we have the very first president of the United States stepping on Israeli land during a time of war. And the media, of course, has to rub that in our face of how he is the first president to be doing that, making it another first on his list. Now, it's not a significant one, really, but it's a first nonetheless for the Biden administration. And they say it was a gamble or a risk. Not quite sure it was a gamble or a risk because at the end of the day, we're still allies. And the Biden administration, at least Joe Biden himself, has tried to stay consistent on his support for Israel. And the Israeli people, especially Benjamin Netanyahu and the government right now, the unified government of all the progressives and the conservatives and the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians and everybody working together right now because they want to try and preserve their nation, they're all happy to see the president of the United States, regardless of who it is, to come and show their support during this time of crisis. So I'm not sure why it was much of a gamble. But, of course, the media, oh, the gamble paid off for Joe Biden, the high approval ratings, the people over there absolutely love Joe Biden, everything's wonderful and hunky-dory. So what are we going to hear from his speech tonight when he addresses the nation is, I'm assuming... We're going to hear him show his unwavering support. Again, I say that with sarcasm because we know how Barack Obama and Joe Biden and most of the Democrats have felt about Israel during the times of non-crisis where they just kind of like brush them off. But now all of a sudden we are the biggest one. It's like that person that is not a big NFL fan. They live in, let's say, Boston, for example because the Patriots are a big team, obviously. So you live in Boston, and you're not a big Patriots fan, whatever. And then all of a sudden they go to the Super Bowl. And, man, I love them. I've been a fan with them forever. Those are my favorite people in the whole wide world. I love this team. It's the greatest thing ever. It's kind of what we're seeing Joe Biden do to the Israeli government. And during the speech tonight, I'm just assuming, but... If he can actually speak, if he's job, jobbed up on enough uh, steroids to be able to speak, I'm assuming that he's going to be asking for money for the support of Israel and probably tying it into a major package with the tie, uh, for the funds for Ukraine at the same time. He's going to talk about a PR stance to try and clean up and uh, to be very clear. That's the new term from Hakeem Jeffries, from Barack Obama, from Joe Biden. got to be very clear. I'm very clear. We've been very clear about this. Karine Jean-Pierre says the same thing. got to be very clear. We've been very clear. We're the, Joe Biden's been very clear on where he stands on these issues. He's going to be very clear on where they stand with the pro-Israeli israel messaging. I don't know he will demonize any of the anti-Semitic remarks that are made in the country. And if they do, it will probably be tied to Republicans have been doing it. Because that's how they've been trying to twist it, is that Trump supporters, MAGA supporters, Republicans are the ones spreading anti-Semitism, which it's not. But they can never face their own demons, so to speak. If you remember a few years ago when they had their anti-hate speech bill because of anti-Semitism that came from none other than Ilhan Omar that said that the Jews were running the world and that they were pretty much evil and that we shouldn't be supporting an Israeli government because of the Jewish leadership there. That was a message that was said from an elected official in our very own Congress of Ilhan Omar. Then we're like, hey, we can't be having that. So we're going to create an anti-hate speech bill because we can't have this type of anti-Semitism on the floor, or really anywhere. And if you remember, during that conversation, it kind of got shifted into going from, hey, we can't talk about anti-Semitism, to, oh, well, look at all the hate going on with the Muslims in the community, so we're just going to make it a generalized hate speech bill where you just shouldn't say anything negative about other groups. But they couldn't specifically come out and pinpoint and say, don't be anti-Semitic against our allies It is an elected official in Congress. You can't do that. That's a no-no. If you do that, then guess what? You're going to have a bad time. Yeah, you're going to have a bad time. But they couldn't get themselves to do that one, so they had to make it kind of a generalized message. So I'm wondering if he's going to try and clean some of that up tonight. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to do it. But outside of just saying that he's going to be there and everybody loves him and we need more money to support Israel and probably more military to support Israel in some fashion, I don't know what else could be said from Tel Aviv. And uh, while he's sitting in Israel with bombs going off all around. And I don't know how long he's supposed to be there, but good golly, what a mess that is across the board. On the other front.
1: What's trending today?
0: For those that may not be aware as well, because everything's been so up in the air right now, is that apparently we're not going to be having a round three voting for Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House. At least for the time being. Where it's not going to happen until probably January I know. Say what? What does that mean?
1: Say what?
0: In fact, what's going to happen is apparently Jim Jordan has now endorsed Patrick McHenry, the current sitting-in Speaker of the House, to be the active Speaker for the next few months, to deal with our budgetary issues, for us to deal with spending for Israel, for us to work on some things that need to be kind of the House-cleaning duties to the end of the year, then we can readdress the Speaker of the House issue. The problem with this issue is, and the problem with this Mindset If this is the direction we're going to go, which it sounds like it's already a done deal, so I don't know what else we can do about it. But the problem with this whole plan, this master scheming plan from the Republican Party, is that this plan was proposed by the Democrat Party because, of course, they want to look like they're the ones moving forward, being progressive, being uh, uh, proactive, and trying to get something done. In the House of Representatives. So congratulations, Republicans. You have now officially given Democrats again what they wanted while we continue to bicker amongst each other. For those that don't know, Patrick McHenry from South Carolina is a radically moderate candidate, is a radically rhino-establishment-esque type of individual who is the second-hand to Kevin McCarthy, and has a very low conservative rating, according to the Conservative Review. And again, take that with a grain of salt because conservative review only looks at particular issues. But Patrick McHenry is no conservative, and we have to be very clear about that. So I want to just put this into perspective for you for a second, that the conservatives that didn't like Kevin McCarthy because he wasn't conservative enough and lied to us and didn't do what he said he was going to do as Speaker of the House are now conceding and are going to agree to put Patrick McHenry to be the Speaker for the next few months during the time of a continuing resolution, during a time of a federal farm bill of 2023, during a time of us addressing some serious matters, being the only chamber that is run by a Republican majority right now, that we're going to put it into the hands of an even more moderate individual than what Kevin McCarthy was to run it temporarily while we try and gather and try and cower and try and buy off enough moderate Republican votes to support a more conservative speaker going into January. That's the position that we're in. That moderates have won, that the rhinos have won, and that they are so willing to sabotage the Republican Party that they would work with a Democrat plan and give them the credit to make it happen, than to actually allow a conservative take the reins and change things in Washington, D.C.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. This is The Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome into it. 24 minutes past the hour, radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting. So we have Patrick McHenry that it sounds like is going to be... Now, here's the thing. I think they got to vote on that. And if they vote on it, conservatives could say, uh-uh. And I almost encourage them to do so. I almost encourage conservatives to be like, no, we're, we're not going to go with this Patrick McHenry thing. Now, here's the issue... Jim Jordan said he's going to stay the nominee for the Speaker of the House and that he's going to continue to try and whip votes going up into January while they'll do round number three of voting for him. Until then, they'll just allow Patrick McHenry to have some of the authoritative power as Speaker of the House to get some of the objectives done that we need. But let me ask you a question. If we have a rhino establishment, middle-of-the-road individual like Patrick McHenry who's not there to try and actually do anything in a conservative mindset but just keep things afloat, We are less than a month away, roughly about three weeks away, from the continuing resolution ending in our government shutting down again because we don't have any money. And you know what that means? We're
2: all going to die because of you!
0: (laughs) And if that's the case, then what do you think is going to happen when that bill comes back up? We've already lost 15, 16, 17 days in trying to figure out a Speaker of the House— And now we have less time to try to address what the budget may actually look like with the true appropriations process. And Patrick McHenry is part of that appropriations process. Let's not remember, let's not forget that. But if that's the case, are we going to have our ducks in a row, so to speak, to pass a proper federal budget? Will we extend a continuing resolution? Because we're not going to have our ducks in a row in time and be able to get the budget appropriated in time to be able to pass a proper federal budget budget. Well, let's go beyond that. We got rid of Kevin McCarthy because he promised that we would actually start curbing spending. We didn't curb spending. In fact, the debt ceiling bill that we passed back in June increased our spending by $2 trillion. And this federal budget shows that we're going to essentially cap out that entire $2 trillion while they're like, we're on a right path, getting things back under control again. huh? And if that's the case, then we have an entirely different perspective of what getting our finances back on track actually looks like. Because to me, this might be a wild thought here, but getting our federal budget back on track means actually having money lower with our total spending compared to what we did in the past. I mean, I know, that's a wild one. Don't you be teasing me now. But I'm sure that Patrick McHenry is not one that would be there to fight that fight and be willing to push back against the Democrats and say, I'm willing to shut down the federal government if we don't pass a budget that has less spending than what we did before. Uh, It's not going to happen because what's going to happen is just like what the moderate Republicans love to do, is they act tough, they talk tough, and then when it comes down to the threats of a government shutdown that will be their fault, according to the Democrats on the mainstream media, we'll just say, okay, just give us a little bit of our spending pet projects and then we'll go ahead and pass the bill. We'll pass it and we'll see another 2 trillion dollar increase in our federal budget for next year alone with another 2 trillion dollars coming into the 2024 and 25 federal budget. So Patrick McHenry, the potential short-term temporary speaker of the House that we could see right now is not going to be willing to fight those fights. He is the go with the flow, don't rock the boat. I'm not the real speaker, I don't even really want the position kind of guy that was put in there with the idea of the Democrats because they're willing to work with him more so than someone like a Jim Jordan and then the 20, 22, 23 moderate Republicans that refuse to vote for Jim Jordan that are willing to go along with that as well. So... Let's remind ourselves here that while we're trying to figure out how to get a proper leader in the House, that moderate Republicans have essentially won, at least in this short term, and that they are willing to work with a Democrat plan with a moderate candidate than actually working with the majority of the Republican Party that wants Jim Jordan outside of those 22 that voted in round number two against Jim Jordan. And they want Jim Jordan to prove himself over the next three months, to prove that he would be a qualified Speaker of the House, for a third round voting in January once this is all said and done in the, in the holidays are all said and over. They want him to prove himself like he hasn't proven himself already. The weirdness of this world, my friend, and the battles that conservatives have to make even against our own party because they're too cowardly to do the right thing.
1: This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason meets radio. This is the voice of reason
0: with Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale. That's what we do on this program each and every day. Welcome back into it all over the place, trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five pound bag, trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time on our multiple radio stations all over the place, plus TV, live streaming, and podcasting. However, you watch or listen, we always love you to death. And appreciate you jumping in with us and trying to stay somewhat entertained each and every day. We'll get back to some conversation about Joe Biden speaking tonight, what we could anticipate from him in Israel, trying to look like he, <laughs> I got to say without, uh, without laughing, hold it together, Andy, trying to say that he's so pro-Israel and so anti-Hamas, which is quite entertaining while we're, Uh, giving the $6 billion to Iran while we're leaving our weapons over in Afghanistan. That's entertaining itself. Then we have the Speaker of the House issue with conservatives potentially giving in to Patrick McHenry the Democrat plan to allow Patrick McHenry to stay as Speaker of the House until the end of the year while we focus on some major issues and allowing the Rhino establishment moderate candidate to kind of lead the House and the Republican caucus For the time being, we'll get back to all that here in just a bit. But there's one topic as we get into our latest and what's trending. What's trending today? A topic that we've uh, talked about quite a bit on this show. And for whatever reason, we're seeing massive crime rates all over the nation, all in every large city. In fact, the city of Dallas saw their mayor flip from Democrat to Republican because he said that we need to be more pro law enforcement that the decriminalizing of these cities is getting out of hand. We have companies, corporations leaving the state of California like we, we can't function here any longer because when you change it to not even try and punish an individual for stealing or theft, but in fact you can steal up to $900, $950 worth of items and just walk out with no repercussions whatsoever, that's not a winning society. That's not a way for success for companies to succeed in a private economy. So what's the solution? Why did we get to this point? How do we get to this point? And what do we do to fix this one? Happy to have on the program. And actually, he's a fellow Kansan here on the home front as well. Really happy to have on. He's been in law enforcement for over 35 years, uh, working at the local state and even at the federal levels. He's now a criminologist and a professor as well. Happy to have on here, retired Sheriff Curry Myers. Curry, how are you, my friend?
2: Doing well. Thanks for having me
0: on. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to chat with you. I love this conversation on what we can do. But I got to ask I mean, being in law enforcement at all different levels and watching this throughout the years, how in the world did we get to a point where we can allow someone to walk into a store, literally grab $900 worth of items, and just walk out and not have someone arrest them and throw them in jail for something like that? That's insanity.
2: And uh, we live in a world of criminals are now victims, and victims uh, are now criminals. Uh, so that's kind of the world we live in, and unfortunately, um, we don't see as much of it here in the Midwest, here in Flyover Country, as I call it. A lot of people call it but The uh, the certainly the East and West Coast, up north, um, they they have a lion's share of it, and it's uh, it's causing a lot of chaos. In fact. Uh, Wall- Wallet Hub just released their 2023 threats to safety in the U.S. And uh, I looked at that data, and I looked at their one key dimension, which was home and community. And the top 25, there's a reason why the Dallas mayor flipped. Dallas is number 15 in the most dangerous cities list on that list. Uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana is number one. San Bernardino, California, number two. Washington DC number three Detroit number four st. Louis who has always seems to make it on this list uh, number five and there's you know many reasons why that is uh, one of the reasons is that um, about one percent of the uh, progressive counties in the United States the United States make up about 42 percent of America's murders so the vast majority of these liberally run um, counties in America are, are responsible for the vast majority of crime. And that's uh, according to data from the Crime Pre- Prevention Research Council uh, that's, that showed, and, and of course, these, uh, these cities are run generally by liberal mayors who have either brought in police chiefs that um, uh, and uh, do what they, they're bidding or um, they um, force the police uh, to not enforce the law, and then on top of that, what makes it even worse is we've had uh, liberal prosecutors that have um, taken over in a lot of these urban areas, and they've literally thrown much of the crime out the window, and they're interpreting, uh, basically taking whatever has been passed by the state legislators, and are deciding to enforce whatever they want, as opposed to what the will of the p- of the people. Um,
0: yeah was one thing that sticks out to me when you read some of those stats of near one percent of the counties across the country commit near 42 percent of all the crimes i'm just throwing this out of speculation and it's kind of a rhetorical question but i'm assuming that within those areas that are run by progressives in these large cities and these large counties across the country that's causing the vast majority of the crimes there's probably some massive restrictions on gun laws there as well where only uh where we're not supposed to have guns but yet somehow criminals are getting firearms in those areas too aren't they
2: Well uh gun laws don't work uh, they uh, criminals <laughs> don't don't pay attention I I've been in this business quite a while and I can pretty soundly um state that criminals do not obey the law Yeah so when <laughs> when they don't obey the law they're not going to pay attention to any gun laws or gun uh, regulations and ultimately, the only people that it's going to hurt are people who follow the law, and that's usually American gun owners who decide to follow the law and do things correctly. So like, as a result, yeah, um, we we have t- a horrible gun control policy, and and uh, you know even when you get into um, certain laws like uh, r- uh, red flag laws and things like that, they can become very subjective. And my biggest argument with red flag laws is who's going to be the arbiter of making the decision of whether or not you're going to be red, red flagged or not. Uh, because in today's world, some somebody could list you as being mentally unstable when you, when you might be at someone at a school district and stand up and say that you're upset how the school district's being run.
0: What a concept. Yeah. I mean, prime example of that is the story we just heard about a month or so ago with the governor down in New Mexico trying to put in... The gun control law, massive gun control law around those two counties near the Albuquerque area where even the media and the Democrats in the legislature were like, um, well, wait a second. Bad guys already have the gun law and they're not going to follow the laws. And there's already laws on the books about committing these crimes. So would it actually do anything? And she openly said no, but it's going to make a statement of where we stand on it because we want to try and save lives and we have to do something. So even though criminals won't follow the new mandates of not allowing any type of concealed or open carry laws of carrying a firearm in the community, it at least set a precedent that we don't want people to carry guns. Like, I, I don't know how that makes any sense.
2: Well, I'm really concerned with public health um, policy when, it, when it's taken a, a bridge too far. Um, The Kansas legislature did an excellent job reining in. We had some problems with our current governor in Kansas in in using edicts during public health to try to enforce mask mandates and um, distancing and things like that. And luckily the state legislature um, put into place um, restrictions and guardrails, what the governor can and can't do when it comes to that. But this governor in New Mexico. I actually wrote about this on my Substack. It's drcurrymeyers.substack.com, um, where she has had a history of using state police to enforce her edicts, especially with related to public health policies. So she used them to enforce distancing bans. She used it to enforce mask bans. And then, interestingly enough, there is uh, information that came forward um, on on the internet where she was speaking in front of a bunch of public health practitioners. I believe it was in May of this year. And she indicated that there are other ways that public health can play an important role to her. And one was in um, guns and the use of guns because she considered it a public health issue. And so I think she was uh, sticking her big toe um, into the water to see what kind of um, response that she would get. I don't think that it's. Um, uh, I think we need to be prepared for it in the future. I, I think it's an indication of how people are thinking that is on the left, and state legislatures should be wise to make sure that they restrict public health policy um, much greater than what it is. It's like I said, Kansas did an excellent job, uh, but we found because of COVID that public health was very, very loose. Laws were very, very loose, not very restricted, and they could do a public health director could do a lot of things that could be considered constitutional issues.
0: Yeah, that is true. Kansas has worked very hard trying to work our way up to try and protect some Second Amendment issues, along other states as well. In Arizona, New Mexico does relatively decent until we've seen this Democrat governor down there. But I am proud of uh, the fact that we are hanging out in one of those stronger uh, pro-Second Amendment and Liberty-speaking states like us here in this. Like you mentioned, the flyover country. We're talking with Sheriff Curry Myers. He's a a retired sheriff with over 35 years of law enforcement experience out of the Johnson County, Kansas area. For those that live outside of Kansas that listen to this program as we do broadcast outside of the area, that's up near Kansas City uh, in that area. And uh, I I have to ask you, and I guess we got about a minute here before we take a break. So when we come back, I want to tease this to you, but... Law enforcement obviously has been taking a hit over the past few years after the George Floyd incident and some others where the demonization of law enforcement has been front and center for Democrat policy in general and the mainstream media in general. We see the Chad or Chaz, whatever they did up in Portland, Oregon and Seattle, Washington for a while in many cities that have just openly abused and attacked law enforcement across the country, not giving them the power to actually enforce and do what their jobs actually were. So when we come back, I want to ask on whether that's been contributing to some of the law enforcement shortages that we've seen across this nation and what we can do to try and get things back on track, not only to try and have a safe and secure community with properly funded, properly resourced law enforcement agents, but also being able to lower some of these crime rates why we're seeing such a massive increase in crime so many businesses that are on the brink of closing and what we can do to try and get this country back on track we'll do that when we come back here one more segment right around the corner it is a pre-friday celebration right here for the voice reason stay here
1: this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason
0: with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into The Voice of Reason. Last segment on the program, your patriot on the prairie. We are here to serve, my friend. Have no fear. The Voice of Reason is here. (laughs) As we continue to rock through the day, the pre-Friday, we have our big uh, big show lined up tomorrow as well. A lot of stuff going on, so don't want to miss that one. And, of course, our syndicated, nationally syndicated program all over the weekend that runs on many of the same stations that air this program during the week as well. Got a few minutes left here with Sheriff Curry Myers. He's a retired sheriff from the Johnson County, Kansas area. He's had law enforcement experience for over 35 years, and local, statewide, and even federal agencies All over the place now he's a criminologist and a professor as well, teaching about these issues and observing why we're seeing such oddness in the country. Crime rates going up, law enforcement having so little ability to, I don't know, like do their job and a side that demonizes them so badly that they've stripped away their ability to do anything. And I got to ask her, I mean, with the status quo today, is that why we're seeing a shortage of law enforcement officers and new recruits all over the country because it's like, what's the point of even joining law enforcement if I can't actually do my job?
2: That's exactly one of the reasons that we're having a problem. We have uh, early retirements. We have um, seasoned police officers in the field. I'm talking about officers with 10, 15 years of field experience that have left and moved on, um, even though they may be you know, close to, to retirement. And then we have a void of, the interest of people wanting to come in and be police officers. I think this is going to be a problem that's going to affect uh, the police for the next decade, especially in the leadership area. You can't have senior field people um, leave and, and not be a com- complete void on your department on experience. There's nothing like experience that can mentor and teach younger police officers. But this is Um, In the last decade, I think this started really in 2014 when the uh, Ferguson riots occurred based on the shooting of Michael Brown, which, by the way, a lot of people um, think that the police officer acted inappropriately. That's not true. In fact, uh, not only did the local prosecutor, the state attorney general, and the Department of Justice all indicated that that officer um, did not um, murder that um, Individual, he it was a it was a righteous shooting, and it was done appropriately. But you wouldn't think that it was according to the media, and that ended up becoming riots. That was kind of the start, um, and then you look at uh, what I call 2020, the year of living dangerously, where um, as a result of the shooting in Minneapolis by a police officer, or excuse me, the the death of a person in Minneapolis. Um, Uh, and you had Black Lives Matter basically protest um, along with Antifa. It escalated into riots. Um, Many mayors did not allow the police to respond with traditional riot measures um, that have been proven through the years. Um, Huge damage occurred, looting, violence in several cities, businesses, homes, public infrastructure was damaged, uh, and it led to significant economic loss. Uh, Some are Spain, that 2020, that that year alone, was nearly $1 to $2 million of estimated loss um, from insurance damage across the United States. And the media's coverage of the protests um, should have come under scrutiny. They framed the protests in a way that aligned with their own political agenda and ideological views.
0: The mostly peaceful protests, right?
2: (laughs) Yeah, mostly uh, peaceful protests. And then we had politicians and, and those in the, in, the, in the academic world also fostered it. I've never seen um, where you had elected officials foment riots and violence like that was done. We had senators. We had um, senior um, executives. We had mayors. We had governors support people to go riot in the street. We had people that block traffic, which is a crime, uh, and we didn't enforce the law. And when you don't enforce the law, you're going to have lawlessness. People are going to take advantage of that, and criminals are going to especially take advantage of it and, and do what they, what they do during that time period. And businesses um, have to overcome and react. So now we're seeing many businesses leave the urban sectors. We're seeing Starbucks, Walmart that is closing. Uh, we're seeing Walgreens that are closing Um, And I'm predicting that those urban sectors are going to have food and medical deserts in these large urban sectors.
0: Yeah, we're already seeing a lot of that. Yeah, we're seeing seeing a lot of food deserts already in, in major cities. Even here in the Wichita area where we're coming from, there's a major discussion about food deserts, and it's because of the looting and the stealing and the crime and they can't sustain and stay open at those times we're out of time my friend we could talk about this for hours we got to get you back on the program at sheriff curry myers curry we appreciate everything that you do thank you for all your service let's get you back on the show again real soon my friend
2: anytime appreciate it sir
0: absolutely so much good stuff to talk about we'll do recap it and break it down tomorrow until then this is the voice reason i'm andy hoosier have a great evening this is we'll see you on the radio